Why'd you think they would like you? Why'd you think they would like you? smart enough to use this stuff. team leading us in worship tonight. Come on. I took my shoes off down front. Somebody stepped on the back of my heel. The skin came off, but it was worth it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The skin didn't come off, but it did hurt still. Uh, hey, welcome to Bridge Youth. We're so stoked that you're here, whether you're here in the room or maybe you're watching online. We're so excited that you've joined us tonight. We're so stoked that you chose to spend some of your time here with us. Hear that, uh, that, that lifetime it is, it is made up of minutes, but life is made up of moments. And thank you that you chose to spend some of your minutes and moments with us. We love that you guys are here. We love that many of you guys brought some friends tonight. Hey, if you're sitting next to your best friend right now, just make some noise if you love them. If you are, uh, if, you're, if you're here with your boo thing and you love them, make some noise. <laughs> If you're single and ready to mingle, just throw a hand in the air and put it right back down. Come on, that was your one chance. You missed it. <laughs> We're so stoked that you guys are here and that you chose to come hang out with us. If you're brand new, if you're brand new, maybe this is your first time here, maybe you're watching online, you are the coolest person in the room or online. We are so excited that you came to join us. We like welcoming our guests every week by saying the same thing. For us, it never gets old. We like welcoming our guests by saying... <clears throat> Everybody clear their throat. <clears throat> we like to welcome our guests by saying we are here to build you up, not we love you. We back you. You do not have to believe to belong here. Hey, I am so stoked for tonight. We are in week three. Everyone say three. We are in week three of our series entitled Giants. Who's been loving this series? Man, who was here last week when JJ and I went buck wild and tag team the message? Got a little out of hand. A little bit out of hand. It was fun, though. JJ slapped me. I slapped JJ. It was a good time. If you, if you weren't here last week, you're very confused. But yes, that did happen. Go check out the podcast. It's been absolutely awesome. Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the giants that we face in life. How many people know we are going to face some giants? And how many, how many people know that if God puts a Goliath in front of you, then he must see a David on the inside of you. Somebody say amen. 
I'm not preaching tonight, so don't get me going, y'all. You are going to have to start the countdown clock over for Tony because he's going to use all hour and 30 minutes of it, okay? I'm just kidding. <laughs> he, ain't, he ain't like me. He's going to probably be in his time frame, and if he's not, that's cool too. But, you know, we, we've been talking about the giants that we face in life. And we know this, that God is greater, that he, he that is within us is greater than he that is within the world. And whatever obstacle that might be put in front of us, we can conquer it. And so that's what this series is all about, how to conquer those giants, because you can. Yes, you can. You. No, me? No. You. Yes, me, but also you. Even the person sitting next to you. Look at your neighbor. Say you. Look at your other neighbor, the one you chose second, and say, yeah, even you. And now tech team, cue soldier boy, you, just kidding. If one time they ever do that, it would be like a dream come true for me. Um, But yes, you can conquer the giants. Somebody say amen. The question is how? And what are the giants? And what are we going to face? And so we've talked about a handful of these giants. and, And I just thought that it would behoove us. Everyone say behoove. You guys know what the word behoove us. But with the word you know, behoove, behoove means like benefit. It would be for our good. It would be for our good and it would benefit us. If I brought in somebody, a friend of mine, who um, you ever meet somebody and when you meet them, your first thought is they are the real deal. Like they're for real. Does anybody else just like appreciate and love authenticity nowadays? Like with so many fake people around the world and on Instagram and making music and in movies and influencers and all that. Like, man, I just love real, authentic, genuine people. And once in a while, you'll meet, and especially in ministry, you, you feel this. You meet someone, you go, they are the real deal. And that is you know, my friend who is here to speak tonight. Uh, this man has been, who, who's ever been to, raise your hand really quick, if you have ever been to youth convention. This man is the one who puts on youth convention. He's in charge of it. He is the CEO, the CFO, the boss, the boss of the boss. He's the one who organizes that whole thing for us. And if you haven't been to youth convention, man, we are just believing it's coming back in 2022. And it'll be phenomenal, okay? Um, but he is, a, he is the, uh, the lead pastor, LifePoint Church in San Diego, planted in 2012. That was the year the world was supposed to end. So the world's supposed to end? No, let's plant a church instead. <laughs> what I love about Tony is Tony is, he's a great, he is a great pastor. He's a great leader. He's a great communicator. He's a great preacher. But better than any of those things, I, I, I learned from a friend of mine, he would often say, oh, uh, so-and-so, good, good man, good marriage. That's what you say about certain people. You say, good man, good marriage. Tony is a better husband than he is a pastor. Tony's a better father than he is a pastor. He is better off the platform than he is on the platform. And there are certain people that, that we know and that are doing God's work who they are fantastic on the platform and off the platform, maybe not so much. But Tony is a guy who is better off the platform than he is on. He's got character and integrity. And I just believe that Tony has a word for us tonight. Tony has been in ministry for 20, oh, you did, you did youth ministry 25 years. You're still doing youth ministry, though, is the thing. And, and doing youth ministry that long, he has got some whiz 
dumb. So do me a favor tonight, Bridge Youth. Be you in how crazy you are and how you yell. Yes, that's good. Amen. Come on. Preach it. You can even tonight, I am releasing you the permission. Don't ever do this on a Sunday morning, but feel free tonight, to my friend Tony preaches, to say, preach it, white boy. Just choose your favorite on the count of three and practice. One, two, three. Get prepared for that, Tony. Hey, would you guys do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet? Would you put your hands together for my friend, Tony Orlando? All right, you can have a seat. Thank you, Bridge Youth. I'm so honored to be here tonight. Pastor Corey, let me just like reciprocate the love here. Pastor Corey and Amber are some of my, we have great youth pastors all across SoCal Network, but Pastor Corey is the best, right? Bridge Youth. And Amber, I, I actually like Amber a little better than Corey. Can I even say that? Is that, is that okay? Can I say that? You know, I just, I want to say this, guys. I am so, I'm so honored to be, there is, there is an excitement and an energy in this room that I have not experienced in a youth venue since probably Youth Convention 2020. So I just want to say, guys, thank you for having me. Let's get into the message right now. If you turn with me to the book of Genesis, the first book in the Old Testament, hold your finger there. I want to introduce my wife and kids who could not be here tonight, but I want to at least give you a picture showing you kind of what was going on. These are my kids. This is Trey and Tiana. Can you see them on the screen? Kind of a little bit. Yeah, that's Trey and Tiana. Trey turned 13 a month ago. My daughter turned 11 uh, about two weeks ago. And we went through puberty in quarantine. That's what happened. Yeah, yeah. I watched it happen, Pastor Corey, before my eyes. And junior hires. Where are the junior hires in the house? Junior hires here? Junior hires? If you look like me, there is hope that this could be your wife someday. Check this out. Yes. That is my wife, Leah. Yeah, I'm down with the brown, as you could see. And we, we, got, we got any brown here? Let me, come on, give me a little love if you're brown. We got a bunch of white people in Temecula? Okay, any brown. Okay, so I am definitely down with the brown. I don't know what it is. I just, that's my little, that's Leah, my little mamacita, and she could not be here. We have been married 21 years. It's been such a great ride. Now, my wife is, and I'm probably, could I let you in a little secret? I'm a little more brown. Now, I'm full-blooded Italian, so I'm not really brown. Corey said, like, preach it, white boy. Okay, whatever. So, but I am, I'm like brown. Like, I grew up in San Diego. We're like 10 minutes from the border, right? I did construction with my dad, working with dudes who didn't have their car. You know what I'm talking about? So I'm like, I'm like learning the language. I learned, hey, you want to know all the bad words? Talk to me after service. Okay, it's cool. But I know more, I know more Spanish than my, my little mama Situ who grew up in Northern California. But I'll tell you what, she is what I call selectively Mexican. She is a selexican, okay? She's Mexican when it's convenient. For example, we go to a no, I'm being serious. She's a Selexican. So we go to like a little like fast food place and we're ordering for the kids and she'll be like, okay, we're getting you know, kids meals for the kids. Okay, we'll get, you know, chicken nuggets. She's saying like as, as, a, as a white girl would, okay? Like chicken nuggets, fries, fruit punch, and a quesadilla. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, but she says it like a quesadilla. And then, then so we'll go to another restaurant. And oh no, so then she'll talk to me about, like, hey, we're having the kids' birthday party. Tony, can you go get like pizzas from Little Caesars, right? $5 hot and ready's, no joke. Can you go get Little Caesars? Can you go get like pin the tail on the donkey? And we need gift bags at Party City. And we need you to go down to this place in National City because they have really good piñatas. 
I'm like, it's a piñata. It's a piñata. It's a quesadilla, right? But she is selectively Mexican. And I am so, I am so honored to be uh, the husband of her. She's an amazing, amazing woman. She's like super quiet, but, but she loves Jesus so deeply. And it's so evident in her life. So if you ever get a chance to meet her, say hi to Leah. Uh, so I just want to tell you this. I am, you're in this giant series. And I, I just think that tonight you don't need to be preached at. You don't need to be talked down to. You need your voice to be heard. And so I want your voice to be heard tonight through God's word. And I'm just going to say a quick prayer, right? Because I want to not be me, but I want to be God's word speaking. Heavenly Father, right now, in Jesus' name, may my words be your words for the lives of these students. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this giant series, which I I love. Pastor Corey did such a great job. Week one, we're talking about the giant of rejection, right, Pastor Corey? And then him and JJ, you are so, I didn't know, bro, you had a girl at eight years old. Like, that's impressive, man. I was like, wow, that is really, really good. Good. And, and I didn't know that when you were in kindergarten, there was no iPhone. Are you serious? How old are you? Are you 20, 21? Oh, man. Anyway, so can I just tell you this, students? And how many of you glad to be here, like in a room, not wearing a mask, other than when you're down front? How many of you glad to be here right now? Okay. So I'm going to tell you something, because we talk a lot about COVID. We talk a lot about COVID. We hear on the news, COVID, COVID, COVID. When's it going to be over, right? We're super excited about summer camp at Pinecrest. We're super excited about summer weekend. But I can just tell you this. Like, like I'm going to tell you this. Stop grieving. It's time to move on. Stop grieving. It's time to move on. Now, I learned that lesson from my daughter about five years before COVID, and I will tell you why. We don't have pets in our home, but we have turtles, okay? Because you have to technically be able to pet an animal for it to be called a pet. So we have, we had these red-eared sliders, these little turtles. We had uh, Zumi and Ming Ming. And Zumi was my son's, Ming Ming was my daughter's. And to make a long story even longer, one day I was home and I saw Ming Ming not moving. We're getting ready to go on a trip to Las Vegas. My wife says, what are you going to do? And I'm like, so I'm the grief counselor all of a sudden. I got to break the news. Now it's my daughter. She doesn't know. So I go pick up my kids from school. I bring them home. I say, guys, I need to tell you something. We've lost one of the turtles. And immediately they both wonder whose turtle has died. And I said, I'm so sorry, Tiana. It's Ming Ming. And she begins to bawl her eyes out. So what do I do like any good pastor, Pastor Corey? We have to do a service for our turtle, right? So we take the turtle. It's like, okay, we, could, we couldn't really flush him. He was kind of like bigger than, than the, <laughs> so anyway. So, so we go out in our backyard and, and I bring my shovel. And I'm trying to be serious, right, students? I'm trying to be serious. So I dig, I dig a hole. We put the turtle in there. Tiana's still kind of weepy. She's got little tears in her eyes and, and she's very sensitive. And, and so we bury the turtle. I pray my best pastoral turtle prayer. Lord, let Ming Ming rest in peace. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You know, and we say a prayer and we had a little like flag marker that had Ming Ming's name on it. And, that, and, that, and I said, Amen. And I said, amen, this is where I learned, stop grieving, it's time to move on five years before COVID from my daughter. I said, amen, my daughter turns around, there was a roly-poly on the ground. Do you know what a roly-poly is? Yeah, a roly- there was a roly-poly on the ground, and she, she looked at it and said, dad, a roly-poly, my new pet. <laughs> and she, within five seconds of the funeral being over, she had moved 
on. So I want to encourage us tonight, stop grieving. It's time to move on. Let's talk about the giant in Jacob's life. There's a man named Jacob in the Old Testament here in Genesis. His name is Jacob. We're going to learn some lessons from this guy who faced giants his entire life. Now, four things that Jacob possessed. If you're taking notes, you're going to write down four words tonight. Four things that Jacob possessed. Number one, he possessed a ladder. Now, this is in the form of a dream, and I'm going to read it to you like this. It should be on your screen. It's in Genesis 28, verses 10 through 12. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones and put it on his head. So his, head, his stone became a pillow. And his head lay down flat in the place to sleep. Then he dreamed. And behold, a ladder. In some versions, it's like a stairway to heaven. No pun intended for those that know stairway to heaven. Uh, was set up on the earth. And its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So hold that thought. Jacob possessed the first thing. He possessed the ladder. We'll get to the rest of that story at the end. So give you a little context on who Jacob was, his life, and everything he was about. This guy had problems coming out of the womb. How many of you had a tough birth? We have some twins here, right? Kenneth, you're a twin, right? Your brother, okay. Uh, we had the, the, the guys doing announcements. Quincy, you guys are twins, right? You guys are, you guys are paternal twins, right? I can tell you guys. Are, yeah, where are you guys? So you have to, So sometimes your womb mate, like, causes you problems, right? Okay, so, so here, here's what happened. So Jacob was twins with his brother Esau, and Jacob was second. His brother Esau was first. His bro, something you know about his brother Esau. His brother Esau was hairy and a redhead. That's true. Look it up in the Bible. He was a hairy redhead. So just picture that not coming out the womb, but later, okay? That, that would have been really weird. Okay, so, so he was hairy, a redhead, Esau, and then Jacob, as he was coming out of the womb, he was holding on to his brother's heel. And immediately his name, Jacob, meant heel grabber, supplanter, and deceiver. And later on, he stole his brother's birthright for a bowl of soup or a bowl of lentils. So the story goes like this. Esau's out. He's the, he's the hunter, the redhead with the beard, hairy, and he's out. And Jacob is making this stew or lentil soup. How many like lentils? Anyone like lentils? Okay, great. Here you go. Yeah. So those are the cool ones from Costco. Don't eat them now. They need like a minute in the microwave. Okay, so so he stole his brother's bread. So, so Esau comes in. He's starving after a long day hunting. He says, please, Jacob, can you give me a bowl of lentil soup? And he said, yeah, sell me your birthright. So he sells him his birthright for a bowl of lentils. Now, you ever steal something that wasn't yours? Well, that would, I guess it wouldn't be stealing. If it's yours, it's not stealing. So you ever steal something? No, no one's going to admit Pastor Corey, have you ever stole some? Pastor Corey stole some. Okay, Pastor Corey, I got a really interesting story. So I youth pastored for a long time, and we had students that looked like you that aren't you but had faces like you in a different seat, if that makes sense. And we would take trips to Disneyland. Now, I was youth pastoring at the time in Northern California, and we would take trips to the happiest place on earth to Disneyland. How many miss Disneyland right now? You're like, oh, yeah, I wish I want my pass back. And so we would take trips down to Disneyland. Now, this is pre-cell phone, JJ, so pre-before you were in kindergarten with iPhones. I think I had a Motorola flip phone, like kind of like Zach Morris Saved by the Bell status, if those of you have watched that show. And so so I told our students, now we're there from the morning until, until it closes, till Fantasmic is over, okay? So no one had cell phones. No one had, barely had a pager, if you know what that even is. Anyway, so, so I said, hey, I'm going to be at Sleeping Beauty's Castle every two hours. Every odd hour, I will be at Sleeping Beauty's Castle. I'll be there 11, 1, 3, and so on and so on. And so I've been seeing some of our students around Disneyland throughout the day, and I was hanging out with some of our students. I move on and hang out with some other students. I saw these four girls 
who, and it wasn't, we were from the Silicon Valley, so it wasn't uncommon for students to bring like 200 bucks spending money to a trip like that. And I see them carrying like bags and bags and bags of stuff, like Pocahontas pens and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so, so I see them and don't think much of it. And now the one o'clock checkpoint, I'm at the drawbridge of Sleeping Beauty's castle. And I see this young lady, she's running up Main Street toward me, like running out of breath. She's like, Pastor Tony, Pastor Tony, you got to come to Disneyland Security right now. Now, I'm, I'm kind of like mad and excited. Like, I'm like, Disneyland Security? I've never been to Disneyland Security. This is good. So I walk. Now, for those of you that don't know where Disneyland Security is, as you walk in the park, it's immediately to your right. So I'm walking down Main Street all the way to the front, right past the Lincoln uh, little theater there. And right there, I go past the post office and into this little where there's bathrooms there. And then all of a sudden, I walk through the threshold of what was Disneyland, the happiest place on earth, to Disneyland security. I walk behind a door. There's an Anaheim police car there. There's walkie-talkies on the wall. There's guns. There's people. I am, I am blown away. It's a completely different world. What I found out is Disneyland runs Disneyland like a small city because there's 35 plus thousand people there every day. They have to run it like a small city. So I get there and I see our four students sitting there in this office and they're crying. Pastor Corey, nothing I love better than a student crying. <laughs> I'm just joking. So they're crying. And this guy says, um, uh, we caught these four young ladies stealing. We, we were following them all day. Now, trust me, if you ever want to steal at Disneyland, don't. They have people in plain clothes everywhere. And he said, we caught them outside of Star Tours. They were stealing, and, and, and we're going to ask. So here's what happens. I, I never knew this. If you steal at Disneyland, here's what happened. You get asked to leave the park immediately. You get fined $175, and you can't come back to the park for a year. And they can arrest you. Since they were minors, they said, we're not going to arrest you. You need to call their parents and have them come pick them up. Now, we're six hours away. Can you imagine that car ride? I call all their parents. They're not answering. They're at work. So now we have to make a decision. We go, I had to go out in the van, leave these girls out in the van. I didn't leave them out in the van. We had to have youth leaders, like, wait with them, like, on shifts every two hours. And the, big, the worst punishment was, was after, and like every student knew about. So like their punishment was like the ridicule from other students like you. And so I, I, one of the girls left her purse, so I had to go back into Disneyland Security, which I was kind of excited to go for my second time. And so I go back in, and I say, hey, one of the girls left her purse. I said, come here. You want to see an itemized list of everything they stole? It was like $485 worth of merchandise. And this is back in like 1996, so that's like a lot of stuff then and now. And so we talk about stealing something that is not yours. Jacob, from the moment he came out, he was trying to take something that was not his. So fast forward a little bit. Jacob started working for this man named Laban. Now, he was working. Now, how many have a job? Anyone have a job here? Cool. So if you go to work for Starbucks or Chick-fil-A, you know, usually when you agree to employment, you know that you're going to make a certain amount, whether minimum wage or otherwise, you know that's going to be the amount that you make. And Jacob did something a little different. He worked for Laban for a month without discussing wages. Now, ladies, what Jacob did, he began to look around and he saw that Jacob had two daughters and said, hmm, I would like maybe one of those daughters. Now, here's the two daughters. So the two daughters are Rachel and Leah. Now, Leah, not my wife, who I think is smoking Mexican hot, and, and, but I'm talking about Rachel and Leah. Now, Leah, the Bible says she had weak eyes. That's code in my, word, in my world or my theology for she was weak on the eyes. That's what it said. And then Rachel, whatever scripture says, Rachel, Rachel was really pretty, like really smoking hot. Okay, so, so what did Jacob say? I think I'll take Rachel. So then what happened was they agreed. He went to Laban. They agreed. 
you can have my daughter Rachel if you'll work for me for seven years. Young ladies here in the front row, if a guy is willing to work for your father for seven years, you may want to consider. <laughs> just, just think about that for a moment. So they agree. Now here it is. And girls get ready, all the girls in the house get ready to say, oh, okay, ready, here we go. So Jacob served, Genesis 29, 20. So Jacob served for seven years to get Rachel. Here it is. But they seemed like only, I need like music right now. So they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. <laughs> seven years passed. Now, can you imagine, guys, we have a hard time waiting six months for like, you know, the trial period to be over. Like, okay, I'm out of probation. It's good. Like, well, let's get married. No, seven years passed. And Jacob says to Laban, Quote, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to lie with her is what scripture says. I'm not going to get into that one, Pastor Corey. That's probably February month that you guys talk about that kind of stuff. But in the biblical sense, he wanted to be with her. That's all I'm going to say. And so Laban somehow tricks Jacob into marrying the wrong daughter. Now, I'm not sure if she had some kind of veil. I don't know if it was in the dark. I have no idea what happened. But all I know is Jacob woke up the next morning and went, ah, you know, and saw a... Saw someone else there, not Rachel, but Leah. And what does he say? What have you done to me? What have you done to me? How could you do this? I served you for seven years for Rachel, and you have given me Leah. And, and Laban's response was, well, it's customary for the firstborn daughter to get married first. And so Laban kind of gives him a consolation prize. He says this. He says, you know, wait for the bridal week to be over. They have like a bridal week, probably a week of celebration, of partying. Wait for the bridal week to be over, and I will give you Rachel as well, dot, 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 for another seven years of labor. Ladies, if a guy's willing to wait for you for seven years, you may want to consider. If he's willing to wait for you for 14 and work for your father, you sign the dotted line right now, okay? That's what you do. And so the story continues. Now, fast forward. We're joining Jacob on a journey outside of camp in Genesis chapter 32. So a journey outside of camp and what happened this one night. That night, Jacob got up and took his how many wives? Two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok, which is a river. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And this is where it gets really interesting. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Isn't that like the coolest like, end of that little script? So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. So understand, he's sending his two wives, his two servants, his 11 children, all of his livestock, all of his possessions on the other side of the river Jabbok. So Jacob's there left alone, and a man begins to wrestle with him until daybreak. Here it is. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So that his hip was wrenched and he wrestled with the man. But then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. They've been wrestling for hours. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. And so we talk about this whole idea of a wrestling match where they're wrestling. You ever like wrestle with your brother or sister? You know what I'm talking about? They were wrestling all night long until daybreak. The, the man who Jacob wrestled with refused to reveal himself directly. Now, if Jacob would have realized who he was fighting against maybe he would have never engaged the man in the first place because Jacob was wrestling with God. Can you imagine that? Wrestling with God? Now, I've had some knock. I know, Corey, you're close to your brother. I have, I have a brother that's six, we're six years apart, but we were still close enough for him to like, be a punk in my life. So like, I constantly was wrestling him until he got bigger 
and his shoulders got wider, and he was taller than me. And we were like adults. We were grown adults. And we had this like knockdown drag, like a 20-minute wrestling match. And it, not one that was confined to one room. We like moved from room to room. That's what happened. I'm seriously. We moved from, my brother hopped out a window. Then he came in. My, par- my parents were gone. Like we went from room to room. And he's on the ground. He's holding on to the, like the leg of my parents' dresser. I'm pulling him by the legs. He's pulling the dresser away from the wall. Finally, after like 25, 30 minutes, we didn't say truce, but he just looked at me and I looked at him. We just went, we're done. And we put our arms around each other and that was it. And that was the end of the wrestling match. And even my son, you know, I play wrestle when he was younger with my son. And, and what do you say when someone does something to you and you want them to stop? You say one word. Uncle. Yeah. And in my home, for some reason, I don't know what we were watching at the time, probably something Disney. We say Uncle Mermaid in our home. I have no idea where that started, but we say Uncle Mermaid. Uncle Mermaid, stop. And so this wrestling match that's taking place, Jacob doesn't know that he's not going to win. He's wrestling all night thinking that somehow he is going to win. And sometimes we think it's wrong to wrestle with God. You ever wrestle with God? You ever had those conversations like, Lord, I don't understand you right now. Lord, I don't get you. Lord, you don't make sense. As much as we think that's wrong, it's okay. It's okay to wrestle with God. You know why? As long as we know that we're not going to win. We're not going to win. And so Jacob says this out loud, I will not let you go until you bless me. You know, it was this voice of a man who was now subdued. He could not conquer the man he was wrestling, beaten at his own game and crippled in the last agony of despair. And he was pegged to the mat. And you know, we so often come against the one who has the very power to change us. Let me say that again. We so often come against the one who has the power to change us. You know, God couldn't have taken Jacob out at any point in time, but chose not to. So Jacob has this ladder and this dream that he pictures, this stairway to heaven, which we'll get to here in a moment. And the second thing, if you're taking notes, the second thing that Jacob possesses is God pops his hip out of place and gives him a permanent limp. Jacob has a ladder and Jacob has a limp. Now, let me give you a little backstory, which is kind of like a little play on words, but I'm giving you a backstory to me, but it's an actual story of my back. In 2012, I literally rolled over in bed, and and Pastor Corey, like you, I used to skate a long time ago. I like to, you know, pop a gap once in a while still now, but I'm just joking, a little forced there. Anyway, so so I had skated, and I had some crazy falls, and, and I rolled over in bed in 2012, and I felt the most crazy pain I had ever felt in my life. I text my chiropractor, it's Sunday morning. I text my chiropractor, he said, meet me in the office in a half hour. I said, I'll be there. He says, there's nothing I can do for you right now. He said, I'm pretty sure you have a ruptured disc. So when your disc ruptures in the spinal column, there's a little gel inside your spinal column. And when, when that gel collapses, it escapes, it goes out and it attaches itself to a nerve. And I had the most fire, fire pain I had ever felt. And it was like a seven on a scale one to 10, but it was constant for like three or four days straight. And I lost full mobility in this leg. Like, seriously, this leg was numb. I couldn't even go to the sink to brush my teeth. I had to, like, shave half my face and go sit in the bed, relax, get up and shave the other half of my face. And that's what it was like for days. I could not lift my kids. I couldn't take out the trash. In protest, Pastor Corey, I sold my golf clubs. I was done. And I walked with a limp for a long time. And to this day, I still don't have 100% feeling like nine years later in this leg, but God has healed me through like acupuncture and decompression therapy and all these things. But, but I would walk and this would happen. I have like clap foot, like I walk, I'd be like, I'm not, I'm not clowning. I'm saying that would like, I, you could hear me coming. 
Like I had Clatford, like, like this leg would just drag. I would ride my bike, this leg would drive, and this leg would just like coast and hang out. So I know what it's like to have a limp. I know what it's like to have a disability. And from that moment on, Jacob always had a limp. You see, God popped his hip out of place. You know why? Because a limp says something. A limp says something. It says you have persevered without defeat. Now, not a day that went by that Jacob wasn't reminded of that, of that limp. And, and limp, just so you know, limp is not a sign of weakness, but of perseverance. It's not a sign of weakness, but of perseverance. So I would say this, never trust anyone without a limp. Never trust anyone without a limp. And let me just talk about social media for just one second. I don't want to get into that, but let me just try. Hey, you think, oh man, that guy, you know, we see the best of people on social media, not the worst. We see the absolute best, the best post, the best picture, everything, everything's perfect, right? We see the best of people. Never trust anyone that doesn't have a limp. Because a limp is a reminder of where you've come from. Because every time that Jacob would limp, it was a constant, constant reminder that God had won. A reminder of who was ultimately in charge of his life. So I ask you the question tonight, what is your limp? What is your limp? Jacob had this ladder that he saw in a dream and a vision and he had a limp, a constant reminder. So I ask you the question, what is your limp? And the limp tonight for us, the giant that we're facing in this topic is the giant of weakness. So if you're taking notes, write down the giant of weakness. And see, here's a little bit of kind of the the paradox of this, that that a limp is often perceived as weak. If you have a limp, there's something wrong with you. We all have a weakness. We all have something that's wrong with us. You know, growing up, I had a severe speech impediment. I couldn't talk. I was like, like, I made water boy look fluent. That's how bad it was. No, I'm serious. I went to speech therapy. So you know what it's like? Any ever, don't raise your hand. Any, like, in special classes where, you know, you have some extra needed help. My wife teaches special ed, so I know what that's like when kids are fifth grade on their, on their report card, but a first grade reading level. And, and here I am, like this kid that, that stuttered, and I could not talk, and I had to go out of class. Everyone's like, what, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to speech therapy, do 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 you know, and it's like, it's embarrassing. And that was my weakness. And, and I remember getting into junior high, it's even worse than junior high and high school. And, and all the way through, I remember I was we were talking about doing a speech one time, and I'm like, I'll volunteer, I'll do it. And somebody looked at me and said, you can't do, you can't even talk. So I know what it's like to have a weakness. And sometimes we have to wrestle alone with our own weakness. You know why? Because that's when God speaks the loudest. That's when God speaks the loudest, when it's just us. Nobody, nobody can walk that with us or for us, but it's just God and us, us and God. Why? I'm about ready to share with you as 2 Corinthians. This is why. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in strength. No, 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 in weakness. Therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So, Lord, thank you that your strength is made perfect in my weakness. How does that work? Your strength is made perfect in my weakness. Because, you know, sometimes God has to cripple us to make us stronger Now, I want you to see this. Don't see your limp as a weakness, but an opportunity for God to use you in ways that you never thought possible, hoped of, or imagined. Because I could have packed it in when I was in junior high, Kenneth, and gave in and say, you know what, Lord, I never have any business. You've called me, but I can't even talk. I'm like, Moses, Lord, I, I, I can't get up here and speak. But sometimes we have to realize that a weakness is an opportunity. 
Now, we live in a culture that celebrates success and we look down on defeat, except for in Little League where everyone gets a ribbon, like a participant trophy. I'm not talking about that. But we do live in a culture that celebrates success. If you're a winner, you're a winner. But we look down on defeat because sometimes we have to realize that defeat is mercy. As we saw with Jacob, defeat is mercy. Defeat is what saves us. So what we can carry from this story of Jacob is is wounding, is is troubling, but rock-solid truth that, that the blessing and bruising that we face in life are not mutually exclusive because we can limp and prevail at the same time. We can experience healing in brokenness. You know, if I want to engage with God, if I want to wrestle with God, then I must expect that I'm going to be changed in the process. I'm not going to come out the same. Jacob saw that, right? That if I'm going to wrestle with God, I'm going to come out with a limp. I'm going to come out differently than when I start. And not always in the ways that are painless or comfortable or easy. Because you know why? I can't dictate the terms of my blessing. I can't dictate the terms of my blessing. Lord, will you bless? That's what Jacob said. Lord, will you bless me? He didn't even know it was God. Will you bless me? I can't say I want the blessing but not the limp. Why? Because <laughs> sometimes the blessing is the limp. Sometimes the blessing is the limp. So Jacob's been given this ladder in a dream, which we'll talk about here in a moment. He's been given a limp, a constant reminder of what God did in that wrestling match. And third thing we see is God's given him a name. If you're writing this down, Jacob had a ladder, a limp, he had a name. Now, there's a naming rights conversation that happens among parents. There's even books that have been published and printed for parents to look at a book and go, oh, we're going to name our daughter Chloe. Is there any Chloe's here? Okay, cool. Sorry, I didn't want to be fun. But we had this whole naming conversation. And my wife and I, for both kids, Trey and Tiana, both, we did not know what we were having until they both boop, came out. We did not do, we did ultrasound, we just didn't know gender until they came out. So we were trying to get boy and girl names for both of them. And we'd have conversations, and, and I would throw out a name, and Leah would go, mm, I kind of knew a guy, his, his name was that, and he was like, mm, you know, he was kind of mean on the playground. She came up with some, like, weird excuse. And then, and then she'd throw a girl's name out, and I'd be like, I kind of dated a girl like that, and she smelled like soup. Yeah, she smelled like soup. I'm not going to name a girl like that if she smells like soup. And so I thought, you know, hey, I want a strong name if we have a guy, right? I, I, I love Greek mythology. I wanted to name our son Prometheus. I promise you. I'm like, Leah, I want to name our son Prometheus because he's the god of fire. And we will call him Promo for short. Prometheus, the god of fire. I have made fire. No, I'm just joking. And she's like, no, we're not doing that. And then I'm like, well, let's do something. Let's do Jesus justification like we do with tattoos, right? So I'm going to like, I'm going to name our son Jericho James. JJ. (laughs) Jericho James. And then I look up the meaning of Jericho. It's the place where Joshua fought the battle, right? But it means moon city. And I'm like, where he's going to be born? Breach. Like, if you know what that means, like, you know what moon city is. And so like, Leah's like, no, we're not going to do that. And then I'm like, well, every Italian boy in my family is named Tony. And she's like, absolutely not. Because at a family get-together, a small Italian get-together, about 75 people. No, I'm serious. That's a small Italian get-together. A small Italian get-together, about 75 people. You say Tony, and everybody turns around. She's like, we're not naming him Tony. Because I'm Anthony James Orlando II. He was going to be Anthony James Orlando III and carry on the family name. She said, no, we're not doing that. Well, how about three? Let's just call him three. What's three in Italian? Trey. Cool. We call him Trey. Sounds good. That's how he got the name Trey James Orlando. 
True story. Now, Tiana, she's a combination of our mom's names. That's a whole other thing. And my daughter, she came out, well, she wasn't talking when she was born, but she came out with a Boston accent. I don't know. She's born in San Diego, and she has an East, I promise, she has an East Coast accent. When she started talking, she'd be like, Dad, I want to get out of the yard. Can you take me in the car down the park? I'm like, what? Is it close? No, it's far. I'm like, Anyway, she, she still talks like that up to a couple years ago. Now she's starting to lose her accent. I'm kind of upset, but she talked like that for the longest, longest time. And so we talk about names, the significance of names, and Jacob's name out of the womb. Remember grabbing his brother Esau by the heel? He is known as heel grabber, supplanter, which means taking something that's not yours, deceiver. So verse 29, Jacob doesn't ask a question. He says, please tell me your name. Not will you tell me your name. Please tell me your name. And God says, why do you ask me my name? And then the blessing. Essentially, God was saying, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? Uh, it's God's way of saying, Jacob, can't you see it's me? After eight hours of wrestling, can't you see that it's me? Genesis 32, here it is. And he said, let me go for daybreaks. They've been wrestling from, from, from dark until dawn. But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. One more time. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You know what Israel means? One who wrestles with God or Israel is known as God's chosen people. So for Jacob, Israel also means that God rules. Now that's a lot better than heel grabber. That's a lot better than supplanter. That's a lot better than deceiver. So when Jesus Christ comes into our lives, students, we have a new name and a second chance. Man, I'm so glad. I'm, I'm no longer heel grabber, supplanter. He's no longer Jacob, but now Israel, God's chosen. I'm no longer Tony, but I'm chosen by the living God. I'm a child of the living God. Now as the band comes back, if I can have the band come back, that'd be great. We talk about your past being cast aside, your past being forgotten. You know why? Because we've been given a new name. So I want to tell you, students, today, you are no longer that label. You are no longer that title. You are no longer that thing. Why? And here it is. You can tweet this later if you want. Your trials, they will not shape you. They will shape you, but they do not have to define you. Let me say that one more time. Your trials will shape you. The things that have happened to you in your life, they will shape you. You cannot deny the fact that you faced verbal abuse as a child growing up. You can't deny the fact that you were abandoned and left with a single mom to be raised by yourself. And those trials, they will shape you, but they do not define you. That is not who you are. Because everything the name Jacob represented was gone once God gave him the name Israel. Once God said, Jacob, you are no longer heel grabber. You're no longer deceiver. You're no longer supplanter. You are my chosen. 
And so I want you to consider something. There's, there's another backstory to this story as we close here. We've got about five minutes. Consider the last time in the story of Jacob that he asked this question. He was asked this question before, what is your name? He was 20 years younger, standing in front of his failing health father, Isaac. Now Isaac was blind and understand, remember that, that Jacob had stolen his brother Esau's birthright for a simple bowl of lentil soup. Well, that wasn't good enough that, that Esau just gave him his birthright. There had to be blessing attached to that. And so in order to go in, his father was blind, so his father would not know the difference between Jacob and Esau. So what did, what did Jacob do? He put on his brother's clothes. He put fur on his arms to look hairy. And there he's standing in his father's tent wearing his brother's clothes. And Isaac is suspicious and, and kind of afraid. And he senses something is going on. He knows there's, there's immense power in giving the blessing. He doesn't want to dare give it to the wrong person. So he asks once again, he asks over and over, who is there standing in the tent? He's blind, he can't, he can't see. But, so who is there standing at the tent? And Jacob, the trickster, the manipulative Jacob, the deceiver, the selfish whose very name means heel grabber and go-getter, looks into his father's failing eyes and lies and said, I am Esau, your firstborn son. Fast forward now 20 years. The heel grabber gets a do-over. He gets a do-over, still groaning in pain from his wrestling match with God. He hears the question leave the stranger's lips. What is your name? In other words, what is your identity? Who are you? I have to wonder if this is the question that, that God asks us to each time that we wrestle with him. What is your identity? Who are you? And God, I don't believe God asks us that, not because God doesn't know who we are, but because we so often, we don't. God's not asking us for his benefit. He's asking us so for our benefit. Or we do, but we don't even want to face the fact that we know. What is your name? Who are you? No, who are you really? And so at that moment, that 20-year hiatus where Jacob had a do-over, and God had touched him there. Popped his hip out of place, gave him a limp, and gave him a new name now. And it's very typical in biblical times where if God did something at a place, they would name that place. So here it is. So Jacob called that name of that place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Now, it's important to remember that places where God shows up and contends with us, we need to name those places. Students, this summer at Pinecrest, you need to name that spot where God touches you at the altar. That summer weekend, you need to name that spot here, whether it's in the sanctuary, where God meets you. These pennial moments where, where God meets us in the darkness, these places where we lose and, and find our true names, our true identities, places where, where mystery wrestles us towards salvation. These places where we exhaust our own strength and finally collapse into God's. Students, these are the holiest of places, these moments that we have, the places that leave us blessed and limping all at once. So Jacob had a ladder, he had a limp, 
He had a name. And lastly, as we close, he had a nation. He had a nation. Yeah, because the second half of that dream, what I didn't tell you, and this was a little foreshadowing what was going to happen for Jacob. Here it is. This is after he saw the ladder, the stairway to heaven. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and you shall, and your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Jacob, like his grandfather Abraham, who God promised, your descendants will be more numerous than sands on the seashore. Like his father Isaac before him, now the blessing came through a nation. He had a ladder, he had a limp, he had a name, and a nation. You see, Jacob had suffered such great loss in his life, right? Loss of mobility, he had a limp. Loss of identity, loss, loss, loss. 2020 was all about loss. But look at everything Jacob gained. He now had a limp. He gained a limp as a reminder. He had a new name. He was no longer a deceiver. He was no longer a heel grabber. And he gained more than he could ever dream or imagine. And students, I want to share one more time. This has been a year of great loss. I have prayed for you, Pastor Corey. I have prayed for your students. I pray for students all across our SoCal network. Why? Because I know it's been the hardest on you. I watched my kids in elementary and junior high going through what they went through, but, but not what you went through. It's been a year of great loss. And so I'm going to come back full circle what I said before. In order for us to stop grieving, because it's time to move on, we need to face the giant of our weakness. So students, I'm going to ask you, will you stand with us tonight? Will you stand? I'm not going to embarrass anyone, I promise, but I want about 10 or 12 students to come forward. Here's what I want. For some of you students, Pastor Corey, I've been praying about this message, man, for, since you asked me to speak. and I, I don't want to manipulate a response, but I just want it to be, I want it to be God tugging on your heart, not me asking. But for some of you students, I want you to look at me right now. The giant of your weakness over the last year has spiritually disabled, has spiritually crippled you. To the point of throwing in the towel, it has left you with a limp. You know why? Because you've wrestled with the spirit of the illegitimate over the course of the last year. You know what that is? The spirit of the illegitimate. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Nobody wants you. Nobody needs you. Nobody cares about you. Nobody sees value in you. And you wrestle with the spirit of the illegitimate. And, and whether it's the usual suspect students, uh, and I know so this is real. Some of you deal with anxiety. Some of you deal with depression. Some of you deal with fear or doubt or even unbelief. God, are you even there? God, are you real? I can't feel you. I don't see you. Can you even be trusted tonight? Students, I want to pray for you because I think some of you are facing a giant of your weakness right now. So I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, the band's going to continue to play behind me. But I want to do something different tonight very quickly because I know we're over time. But students, if you're dealing with a giant of weakness, I want you to come down here right now. I want to pray for all of you and pray specifically for a few of you. One, two, three. Please come down right now. I want to pray for you right now in Jesus' name. You're dealing with a giant of your weakness. Van, will you tell everyone? I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. Will you tell everyone what your weakness that you've been dealing with over the last year has been? 
Fear and unbelief. Fear and unbelief. What's your name? Ashley. Ashley, can you share with us, if it's not too personal, the giant of your weakness? I lost family and it just felt like rejection. So. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What's your name? Lauren. What is the giant of your weakness? Um, lack of faith. Lack of faith. What's your name? What's your, what's, what's your giant you're facing right now? Anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression. What's the giant of your weakness? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. God knows. Um, faith and doubt. Faith and doubt. Eating disorder. Eating disorder. Thank you for sharing that. Doubt. Doubt. Can we get some leaders to come behind? All of our great bridge youth leaders. I'm just going to pray a prayer. Pastor Corey's going to come up and lead us in the next phase of our service. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, like Jacob, Lord, these students have wrestled with you over the last year. They've wrestled with their weakness that has been a giant killer in their life. But Lord, as Pastor Corey said, to face the Goliath outside, Lord, of us, we have to know deep down inside we have a David lurking deep inside of us. So I pray, Lord, for anxiety. I pray for doubt. I pray for unbelief. I pray for eating disorder. I pray for family loss, Lord. I pray for anxiety, depression, Lord, thoughts of suicide. And Lord, the list goes on and on. And Father, may every student in this room, the ones that didn't come forward, who are struggling right now, who are dealing with the giant of their weakness, Lord, may you wrap your arms around them. May they know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lord, that tonight you're going to change their name. They're no longer going to be known by the label. Lord, the trials in their life, they have shaped them, yes, but they do not have to define them. And so right now, Lord, through the brokenness of a limp, Lord, because a limp is a reminder and a limp is often the blessing where we realize and look back, Lord, that's what you did at that place at Peniel. That's where the blessing occurred. That was the moment at camp. That was the moment at convention. That was the moment at summer weekend, Lord, where you did something real. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that tonight, through our limp, that tonight we would begin to stop grieving because it's time to move on. But the only way to move on, Lord, is for you to give us a new name. So I pray for every student here. They will no longer be known as Van or John or Kelsey or anyone else here, but they have a new name. They are your chosen, a child of the living God. God. We ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Can we give God praise in this place? Stay right where you are. We're going to have another moment right here. You're going to have a moment in just a little bit to thank Tony for that amazing word. Can I just say really quick to everybody who came down front, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing what you shared. Thank you for having the boldness and the courage to step down front. Here's what I think about, um, some of you might know this and some of you might not. Um, as we read the Bible, uh, God has a, his name in the Old Testament is attached to only three other names. He is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the reason why his his name is attached to God's name, it all really does, and, and, and you can dig into all sort of everything of like God chose him or God anointed him or this and that. I believe in so many ways it comes down to the moment that, that 
he wrestled with God. And I think that's what many of you did when you came down a moment ago, is you had a moment of wrestling with God. Now, here's what I know as well. I know what it's like to feel like there's super glue on the bottom of your feet when there's a moment like this and you wanna go and there's, uh, but you don't. So we're gonna have another moment in a second, but before we do, I can't help but to think that there's some in this room who does not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I love that his name's attached to names because you know what that speaks of. He's a personal God who wants a relationship with you. See, what you thought God was, was a God who just wanted you to clean up your act, follow a bunch of rules, get your life together, and then get to him. No, he says, come just as you are. Come with your anxiety. Come with your depression. Come with your eating disorder. Come with your doubt. Come with your lack of faith. Come with the loss that you're dealing with. Come with your sleepless nights and come with your broken heart. And he said, come just as you are. And tonight, if that's you and you don't know God, we could not move past a moment like this. We could not leave a message like this without giving you an opportunity to respond to God. For some of you, your, 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 your weakness is a weakness if you've been struggling with a sin that you just can't seem to walk away from. And that thing is tearing your life apart. Can I tell you there's forgiveness and there's grace and there's mercy. Our God doesn't run out of grace. He doesn't run out of mercy. His forgiveness bank account isn't in the negative. There is so much forgiveness for you. There's so much grace for you. And all it takes is a moment of receiving it. So I'm gonna give you that opportunity right now. It's a public setting, but we're gonna have a private moment. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? that's you tonight and maybe you've been struggling maybe you feel so distant from God maybe before this moment right now before before Pastor Tony's message you didn't even know if you believed in God maybe you thought that your weakness disqualified you and all of a sudden you're hearing this and right now your heart's beginning to beat I'm not gonna ask you to walk down front, but in a moment, what I am gonna do, I'm gonna count to three, and I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand and put it right back down, if that's you. If you're saying, Corey, that, that is me. I want forgiveness for my sins. I've messed up, I've missed the mark. If that's you, maybe, maybe you've been writing your own story, and you wanna give the pen of your life to God and allow him to write the next chapters. If that's you, when I get to three, you raise your hand. Maybe you have had people attach labels to your name, like Jacob. Maybe you've been told you're someone, and now you want to step into who it is that God's called you to be. This is your Jacob to Israel moment. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand when I get to three. If you want to know that you know that the day that your life comes to an end here on earth, that you will be with God and the angels in heaven, when I get to three, I want you to lift your hand. If you want forgiveness of sin, when I get to three, you lift your hands. You want to give your life to Jesus right here, right now. When I get to three, lift your hand. Here we go. This is your chance. This is your moment. Don't miss it. When I get to three, heads bowed, eyes closed. It's just you, me, God in this moment. Here we go. One, two, three. All over this place if that's you. Anybody else? Man, hands going up everywhere. Amazing. Amazing. 
That is the best decision that you could ever make with your life. I promise you that. We're gonna wait one more moment. Anybody else, you wanna give your life to God. If you're watching online, you're responding in the same exact way. And I, I can't see your hand online, but God sees your hand. He sees you. He's there with you right now. You can put your hands down. I love this. The Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and he rose from the dead and you'll be saved. I know, I know what somebody's thinking right now. This is your first time in church. You heard that and you're thinking, no way. That is way too easy. God made it so easy for you to access him. So if that's you tonight, would you wrap your heart around these words? I'm gonna give you the words. You might be there like, oh, we're about to pray. I've never prayed before. That's okay, it's just talking to God, but I'm gonna give you the words. So if that's you, uh, maybe you rose your hand, maybe you didn't, here at Bridge Youth, we're a family, we do things together. So would every single person in this room and those watching online, would you repeat these simple words right after me? Believe them, mean them with everything in you. Say this, say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner but I know you're a savior. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. So tonight, I give you my heart, I give you my life, I give you everything. And from this day forward, I'm gonna follow you. No turning back, no looking back. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Can we welcome people into God's family tonight? Amen. Hey, right now, if we're going to move into a moment of worship in just a minute. But right now, if, you, if you're if you going to worship with us at the front in just a moment, go ahead and head on down to the front. If you want to put a mask on, feel free. Um, head to the front. We're going to have one more moment. Kenneth, would you do me a favor? Would you hand me my journal right there? I don't think you, I don't even know where Tony went. Tony got raptured, you guys. <laughs> this is JJ's journal. And it says that he's still in love with the girl he dated when he was eight. That's interesting. Tony, I don't, um, if you guys would, would you guys kind of move, move up a little bit, just get people behind you some room. Um, Tony, I don't know if you know, uh, I also had a speech impediment growing up. I did, yeah. I went to speech therapy classes until the sixth grade. And actually, I loved my speech therapist and my speech therapy classes so much as they began to tell me, you'll probably only be in speech therapy a couple more months. I began to fake talking bad because I wanted to stay in my speech therapy classes. I loved them so much. They had delicious snacks. I don't know why I remember that. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, some of my closest friends, they've noticed uh, uh, I, I say certain things um, wrong. I, I can't pronounce certain words. I told you guys this. Um, rear view mirror. Everyone say rear view mirror. It's so hard for me to say because I still have a speech impediment. I worked at Hollister when I was going through my internship and, and some people at Hollister said, I worked at Hollister here at the mall actually, and they were like, hey, where's your accent from? And I said, uh, the hood? I don't know. <laughs> I said, what accent? And they're like, oh, I don't, you just say certain things interesting. And I was like, oh, um, I have a speech impediment. They're like, oh, what are you doing an internship again for? What are you gonna do? I was like, oh, uh, I think God's calling me to be a pastor and a preacher. Tony, 
as you were talking, I started thinking about the young person who has something about them that thinks that it disqualifies them. I was thinking about the young girl who, the young, the young girls in our group who were taken advantage of by someone that they were supposed to be able to trust. And now in their mind, their name's not Jacob, deceiver. Their name is damaged goods, and they think that about themselves. And to the young lady in the room who you think that you're damaged goods, and you think, and you've let the enemy lie to you and say that you will never find a godly husband who will love you and value you and cherish you and, and a joyful, amazing, adventurous marriage is there for everybody else, but not you, because you're just damaged good. Can I tell you tonight that that might have been the name you pinned to yourself, that might have been the name somebody pinned on you, but tonight God is giving you a new name, and a new name is masterpiece. Your new name is fearfully and wonderfully made. Your new name is healed in Jesus' name. I'm believing right now in this moment that to the young ladies of and there's a few young ladies in my heart and my mind. There's some of you I know. There's some of you that I don't. There's some of you I know your name and your face. There's some I only know your face. And there's a few that I maybe don't even know at all. But God's speaking to you. Tonight is the night where God's beginning the healing in your heart. And you might have, Jacob had a limp. Some of us have, have a scar. A few times I've been asked, uh, uh, Corey, do you have a, did you have a cleft lip? No, I had a dog bite me in the face when I was a kid. <laughs> Every single scar tells a story. Every limp tells a story. And for you, young lady, your scar is an emotional one. It's a mental one. That scar is not visible on the outside, but it's massive on your heart. Can I tell you, your scar tells a story. And I love what Tony said. Your limp does not have to be a story of defeat, but of victory. Because God is so good at when you take that and you put it in his hands, he takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it for good. Watch how I do this, Charles, watch this. Noah, watch this. He takes graves and he turns them into gardens. <laughs> Anybody wanna guess the song we're about to worship to? You know, Tony, when you uh, asked about um, when you ask young people to come to the front if they're facing a giant of weakness and you said, would you come to the front? And, and I, I, I kind of, I walked up to the front really quickly and oftentimes pastors, especially youth pastors, they'll do that. It's like, let me be an example. So I can, you know, I'll just set the, set the tone. I'll set the example. I didn't do that, but um, through quarantine, and I told a few people this, not very many, but through quarantine, I did not come out of quarantine liking myself more I came out of quarantine realizing how lazy I could be I came out of quarantine realizing that I still struggle with depression at a pretty real level I came out of quarantine struggling with my giant of weakness which is the giant of insufficiency feel very insufficient so much. Is this okay that like your pastor is transparent like this? I know for most people they want their pastor to wear like a suit and tie and be like, look y'all, I tell you what, God is faithful, God is good, God is good, and all the time, 
but your pastor's got tattoos and some scars and a story. And your pastor almost every week stands behind that curtain as somebody's grabbing the table to bring up for me so I can preach from it. And I think how in the world has God called me some loser skater kid from East Riverside who came from the wrong family, whose dad was in prison his whole life, who has a speech impediment, who still who struggles with depression on such a real level, who, who uh, uh, for the longest time family couldn't even pay the bills, the, the electricity was turned off, who, who still to this day doubts himself. How is it that God has called me? But then Tony read 2 Corinthians. That's what you do when you don't know the chapter and verse. Wait, I wrote it down somewhere. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9. We get it, Quincy. You're very saved. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. I wrote it down, but I didn't write down the verse because I memorized it. That's how good, that's how saved I am, Quincy. It is not in our strength that God is made strong. It's in our weakness. Can I tell you, oh my goodness, God would receive little to no glory if I grew up this phenomenal, eloquent, amazing, like sensational preacher, but instead, I grew up with a speech impediment. Tony grew up with a speech impediment. And then he has the nerve, the audacity. I'm going to say like Kenneth says it. He didn't have the permission to come up and deliver a fire message like that growing up with a speech impediment. But you know what it says? It says, Tony gets none of the glory. God gets it all. Young man in the room who you think you're insufficient because your father hasn't said that he's proud of you your entire life. My, my biological father wasn't there to say he's proud of me. My stepfather told me he's proud of me twice in my whole life. Once when I graduated high school and once when I became a pastor. Really quick, young men in the room, I just wanna hear, I want, I want you to hear from the voice of a father that they're proud of you. Tony, would you come here? Would you just say in this microphone, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Each and every one of you, I'm proud of you and you and you times 200 that are in this room. I'm proud of you. We have, another, we have another father in the room, one of our youth leaders here. Would you say to these young men that you're proud of them? I'm proud of every single one of you. And I know my son's out here as well, and I'm proud of him. And I'm excited to meet every single one of you. My name is Marlon. Please come and speak to me, and I'll take the time to tell you my story. And I'm willing to hear yours. Where's your son at? Where, where's his son at? I don't want to sing. There he is. Something shifts when you have kids of your own. I don't, I don't yet have kids of my own. That's why I bring fathers here because though I look, I'm, I'm too young to look at you guys as my sons and my daughters, okay? I'm like, I'm either the, the big brother that makes questionable, questionable decisions, but I'll nudge you in the right direction, but we might get in a little bit of trouble here, or I'm like the cool uncle. <laughs> this is why I bring some dads, young men. 
I am proud of you. We, we are proud of you. So don't let the enemy lie to you and let you think you are too insufficient to be used by God. Your name was Jacob. It's now Israel. God's cho- what does Israel mean? God's chosen people. You are God's chosen people. To whoever is in the room who's struggling, and next week, I'm talking a bit about this. It'll be in the message. It won't be the whole thing, but it's a bit about it. Next week, I'm talking about um, one of the giants I'll hit on is the giant of mental illness. I'll talk specifically about depression and anxiety. If you are dealing with any sort of mental illness, now please, please hear me. It does not disqualify you from being used by God. It doesn't disqualify you from ministry. Maybe you felt called to full-time ministry to be a pastor and you think because you're struggling with mental illness that you've been disqualified. I will likely have my wife share some of her story next week and how she struggled with anxiety. You are not disqualified. God is not disqualifying you. Stop disqualifying yourself. Amen. Amen. Would you do me a favor? All over this place, would you lift your hands in the presence of God? If you need to, close your eyes. Jacob wrestled with God. He had a moment with God. For him, it lasted somewhere around eight hours all night. For us, we're gonna have about eight minutes while we worship God in this next moment. And here's what I'm believing. I'm believing that so many of us are receiving our new name in this moment. So many of us. The limp that we've been walking with is being redefined in this moment. Healing is happening in this moment. I'm believing that for many of us, what's happening in this moment is for the first time we are seeing that metaphoric ladder between us and God and we thought that we could never reach him, we could never have a relationship with him and in this moment you're gonna connect with God in a real and a genuine way. We're not talking about religion, we're talking about a relationship and moments spent in his presence and that is what's about to happen. So would you pray this, repeat this right after me. Say, God, I'm ready. Come on, say, God, I'm ready. One more time, say, God, I'm ready. With those hands lifted high, let's worship him tonight.